history is full of examples of people who assumed one thing, and then when they got a closer look at the evidence, they, uh, they thought something else entirely, right? Uh, we know that a lot of people thought the, uh, the sun revolved around the earth until guys like Copernicus and Galileo and Kepler showed otherwise. They looked at it more closely, so I know that's not actually not how it works. Church history is full of this kind of thing. Saul of Tarsus believed that people don't rise from the dead, therefore Jesus could not have risen from the dead until he came face to face with some pretty compelling evidence on the road to Damascus. And we see it in our own personal lives as well, when I, was, uh, when I was a kid growing up in small town, rural Manitoba, I thought the 15-foot-high man-made pile of dirt near our house was a mountain. That's what I assumed mountains were. It was the biggest elevation change around besides Abe's Hill in the nearby metropolis of Steinbach. There it is right there. Another man-made pile of dirt. And then when I was uh, 12 years old, we drove to the Rockies as a family, drove to Banff, and I found out that everything I assumed I knew about mountains was just a little bit off. Just a little bit. Until recently, I thought that sparkling flavored water was the dumbest idea in the world and tasted bad until I tried a cherry flavored bubbly. <laughs> and now we're like the number one contributor to the Bridges Bottle and Can Return fundraiser. That's all, that's all we drink. And, and before I get into what we're talking about today, I do want to say that this is, this is my hope and prayer for some of you who are coming to this pretty new who are new to this whole church thing, this whole Christian faith thing, and you might be coming with all kinds of assumptions that uh, God doesn't exist, Jesus was just uh, an ordinary good man, that the church is a corrupt institution that's just out for your money, that Christians are inauthentic and fake, that religion is dying out, whatever it might be, you might be coming with those kinds of thoughts. And my, my prayer is that you will, by spending time here, by spending time in God's word, that you will discover that something else entirely is true. That Jesus is Lord, that he is God, that there is actually life and renewal to be found in being part of his body, being part of the church. But, uh, but what we're talking about today, and what we've been talking about the last few weeks, are the gifts of the Holy Spirit. How does the Spirit empower his people to build up the church and make Jesus known. And I think that probably for some of you, if you've had some assumptions about what these gifts are and how they work, some of those assumptions may have been challenged. And that's going to continue on today. That there are going to be some ways in which perhaps you have, you have assumed things to be true and, and we're going to look at the scriptures. We're going to look at the evidence. And, and that's that's the, the goal here is not that you would have your mind changed by me, by my words, but that by looking at God's word, by submitting to what he says, that we would have our shapes, our, 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 our thoughts shaped in a way that is true and that honors him. So, uh, Lord, we want to ask for that right now, that, that we would be open to you uh, shaping and forming the way we look at things, that we would not... Uh, just rely on what is familiar to us, on what comes most natural to us, on, uh, on just simply what we have heard in the past, but that we would actually look at the scriptures, hear your word, and, uh, and to view things accordingly. God, I pray that in this time that you would anoint me with your Holy Spirit, that my words would reflect your words. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would move in our hearts and that you would uh, change and transform us in a way that uh, would, would send us out just more fully alive in you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Corinthians 12. Uh, we're in verse 27. We're just going to read a few verses today. So 1 Corinthians 12, 27 says, Now you 
are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all have gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret? Now eagerly desire the greater gifts. So verse 27, this is kind of the, the recap of what we talked about last week when 90% of you were on vacation. Or that, or I said something really offensive two weeks ago, and most of you have decided to forgive me. But I, either way, you might, have, you might have missed last week, but this whole section that we were in, Paul talks about uh, the, the human body as this image, this metaphor for the church. That just like the human body is, is one united whole and yet is made up of all of these different parts that have different roles and functions. That's the way it is with the church. That we are tied together, united by the Holy Spirit, and yet that the Spirit has given each of us different gifts, different, different functions, different roles to build up the body and make Jesus known. And so this is what Paul says in verse 27, sums that up, all up and says, you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. Uh, and then in, the next, in these next few verses, he gives some concrete identities to some of those various parts of the body. And we, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. We looked at another list of gifts that Paul gives. In, in verses 8 to 10, he talks about uh, messages of knowledge and wisdom. He talks about uh, faith and miracles and healing and prophecy and discernment of spirits and tongues and interpretation of tongues. And what we said back then was that that is not intended to be a comprehensive list. It's not like the Enneagram. Do you know any like Enneagram-like fanatics? Like I know a few of these people. They're like, what type are you? I'm a type six. Are you a type three? We can't get along. You know, that kind of thing. But this is not like the Enneagram. It's not like which of these nine types are you? Instead, it's just a sampling. It's a, it's a, a selection of some of the ways that the Holy Spirit empowers his people for service. And the evidence for that also is, is right here, where Paul gives another list, and there's some overlap with what he has said earlier, but some of the gifts he doesn't repeat, and then he introduces some, some new ones. So what we're going to look at today is we're going to go through this list, but especially pay attention to the ones that we haven't really seen before. The other ones, like faith and healing and miracles, you can go back a couple weeks ago uh, and catch up on that, because that's what YouTube is for, guys. It's not for watching cat videos. It's for, uh, it's for catching up on old sermons, so obviously. Uh, so we're going to look at some of these ones that are kind of new. And the first few that Paul mentions are, they're different, right? Like, like they're, they're, they kind of, they're, they're, they're set apart in this text. Because those first three, apostles, prophets, and teachers, are identities. They're, pe they're describing people. Whereas after that, he talks about gifts like healing and miracles and tongues. Here he talks about three different kinds of like identities. So that's different. And it's also different because he seems to rank them. He says he's, God has given the church first of all apostles, second prophets, third teachers. Actually gives them a numerical kind of status. And this counters maybe some of our common assumptions about gifts that they're all that they're all equal. It's all on level playing ground. But Paul would actually say, here are the order of importance of, of some of these, uh, these gifts. So let, let's talk about that. And, and I want to start with the first one, which is apostleship. And just to warn you here, I'm going to do a bit, we're going to do a bit of a deep dive into apostleship because I think it's one of the most um, 
misunderstood or, or confusing of these, and also because Paul says this is kind of the first of all the, the gift that God has given the church. I think for a lot of people who even believe that a lot of these gifts continue on today, they would say, well, apostleship is the one that I'm not really sure about. That's the one that probably stopped in the first century. And there are a couple of reasons for this. One is, let's be honest, it feels really pretentious to say I'm an apostle, doesn't it? Like in a way that I'm a, I'm a teacher or I'm an evangelist doesn't to say I'm an apostle. Someone's like, wow, get off your high horse, holy and mighty one. Um, there was a movie in the late 90s called The Apostle starring Robert Duvall. Who saw that movie? Nobody. Well, I didn't either. Um, but I looked up the Wikipedia page. And so <laughs> I was assuming like a few, it won awards, guys. Come on. Like, anyways, so Robert Duvall is this, uh, this pastor who kills his youth pastor. So that's a good start. Uh, and, th and then he runs and he goes to another town. He, he creates a new identity for himself. He is now the Apostle E.F., uh, and he kind of starts this new church, declares that he's an apostle, and then his murderous past catches up to him. And if, if I ruin the movie for you, it's 25 years old, and clearly none of you wanted to see it in the first place. So I think, I think we're good. So you kind of see some of these bad examples of self-proclaimed apostles where you go, I, I don't know about that. But I think probably the bigger reason why, why some let's say Christians who've grown up hearing about this stuff, why they would assume maybe that there is no such thing as apostles today is, is because of some scripture passages like 1 Corinthians 9. Uh, 1 Corinthians 9, verse 1, Paul says, um, what do, I, don't, I don't have it here. Well, then I actually have to turn in my Bible to it. If you're ever wondering what I have up here, it's a page of quotes. And I didn't have that one. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 1, Paul says, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not the result of my work in the Lord? Even though I may not be an apostle to others, surely I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. So here's Paul saying, am I not an apostle? Have I not seen the Lord? As in Paul is a witness of the resurrected Jesus. So some people look at that and they say, well, clearly then to be an apostle means that you have witnessed the resurrected Jesus. And so apostleship is really just limited to a small group of Jewish disciples in the first century. But notice here that, that Paul actually says, also, am I not free? So if he's linking his apostleship to witnessing the resurrection, he's also linking it to his freedom, by which he means, I preach the gospel— without charge. I don't, take, I don't take an income for it. I don't get supported financially for this. I, I am free in that way. And most people would say an apostle doesn't need to have volunteered their time. They wouldn't link those two things together, but they link the resurrection thing. And so what's probably happening here is that Paul is saying to the Corinthians, look, this is the evidence for my authority among you. These are the sufficient conditions for why you should listen to me. But Paul isn't saying here are the universal conditions for anyone who wants to be an apostle. And, and more evidence from that is found in the fact that you've got all kinds of people in the New Testament who are called apostles. People like Barnabas and Silas and Timothy and Titus and Epaphroditus, maybe even Apollos and Junia. And none of them 
would seem to have seen the resurrected Jesus. All of them are Hellenistic Jews from outside of Jerusalem, uh, or in most of those cases. And, and yet there's no evidence that they would have seen the resurrected Jesus. Uh, or, or in 2 Corinthians 11, where Paul is actually dealing with false apostles in Corinth. He's going, look, you've got these people in your midst. They're claiming to be apostles, but they're false. Why? Paul doesn't say they're false because they never saw the resurrected Jesus. He says they're false because of their deceitful ways. You could see it through their deeds, through their actions. That's why they're false. And then there's a the simple fact that there's no New Testament passage that says that apostles ceased in, 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 the, in, in the early church, that that wasn't going to carry on beyond that. So here, here's the question, and, and some of you would have wished I would have answered this five minutes ago already, but are there, are there apostles today? Does God still gift people in this way? Up until this week, I would have said, throughout my life, I would have said, no, probably not. I don't think that, that, that apostleship is still a thing. But after looking at it a little bit more closely and, and doing some more reading on it, I, I, I actually, I don't think that assumption is, is correct. Uh, Ephesians 4 and I forgot to read this passage. I'm going to go back to it in a second. But Ephesians 4 says that Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the teachers, and the pastors to equip his people for works of service until the whole body is, so it's, the whole body's built up until we all reach maturity in Christ. Now, if that's a need, if we, if we need to, to be built up to maturity, then why would God stop giving only one of these identities or gifts and still carry on with the others. I, I do think actually that God does grant apostles to the church. Now the question is, what do apostles do? What, what is their actual role and function? There's no neat and tidy uh, definition in the New Testament, but from the range of people we see operating with this and from, uh, from the descriptions of what they do, it would seem that apostles are, they're gospel pioneers, they're groundbreakers. They are uh, visionary and entrepreneurial leaders who God sends to establish new spheres of ministry and to build and to create structures that will sustain that growth. And, uh, and, and so you see that actually in 1 Corinthians 9, where Paul again goes like, am I not an apostle? Have I not seen the Lord? But he says, you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. Because he went to Corinth a place where the gospel had not yet reached and he preached the gospel to people who hadn't heard it and, and he established this church and he raised up leaders and now here he is speaking wisdom into this church. He's, he's building up and instructing the, the believers there. That's what an apostle does. Breaks new ground, establishes new spheres of ministry. I think you see that kind of thing happening in some missionaries like Hudson Taylor or, uh, or William Carey who went into places where there was no church, there was no gospel movement, and they broke new ground. I think you see it in, uh, in people like Bill Bright, who, who was uh, a pioneer in student min uh, ministry and in kind of university missions. You see that kind of thing with people who are, who are preaching the gospel in new areas and establishing new gospel movements. And if that's true, then you can see why Paul would rank it first. Because you don't really... You, you can have evangelists who share good news with people and you can, have, you can have teachers who instruct people, but to see the church actually go into the world where it has not yet uh, made an impact, you need people with an apostolic gift. 
Now, there, uh, there were a couple of passages I, I wanted to mention. I was going to do it earlier, but I'll do it now. So we'll just go back to that here. This is not the only time Paul ranks the gifts in this way. In Ephesians 2, Paul says, he's, he's talking to Gentiles, to non-Jewish people, who were once, he says, far off from God's people. And that's true of most of us as non-ethnically Jewish people that we were once far off from God's household. And yet because of Jesus, because of what Jesus has done, we've been brought near. We've been brought into the household. And so Paul says that the Gentiles are no longer foreigners and strangers, but members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. The apostles and prophets of the church is the, the, uh, the, the building, the temple, the house of God. Then the apostles and prophets are the foundation that that house is built on. Ephesians 4, same kind of thing. Paul says, Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service. So same kind of thing as in 1 Corinthians 12. He just adds uh, pastors and uh, an evangelist to spice things up a little bit, because that's what pastors do, guys. They spice things up a little bit. So Paul is there. But it's the same kind of thing. Apostles first. Now, they're not first because of worldly status, because of the esteem and glory that comes from that kind of gifting. Because this is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4. He says, It seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession, like those condemned to die in the arena, to this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags. We're brutally treated. We're homeless. We have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world. How's that for a job description? Put, put that on a job ad. Who wants to be an apostle? You're going to be the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world. This is what happens when you break new ground. You face opposition. You face resistance. People don't even notice what you're doing because they don't even really want you doing it in a lot of cases. That's apostleship. It's not first because of worldly status or esteem. Why is it first? It's first because of the profitability to the church. It's first because of how it builds up the church and creates opportunities for the gospel to go out. Now, that was a lot on one word, on one phrase. We'll go a lot more quickly now. Paul says apostleship first. Then he goes prophets are, are kind of second in this. This is what God has given the church. And we've talked about prophecy. We're going to talk about it more in chapter 14. Uh, remember, prophecy is not primarily about telling the future. It's not about making a bunch of predictions. It is primarily about speaking uh, a message from God, a revelation from God into a particular situation or particular concern. Uh, I shared with you a couple weeks ago uh, this video testimony of a woman named Lacey Sturm who talked about how uh, she was determined to take her own life. But her grandmother badgered her into going to church. She goes, pastor up front says, there's a suicidal spirit in this room. And her hair just stands up on end. And then after the service, she's, she's walking out and an older man stops her and says to her, she'd never met this man before, but he says to her, God sees you when you cry yourself to sleep every night. And he wants you to know that he loves you and that he gave Jesus to die for you so that you could be saved. Here's, here's the prophetic. A revelation given that someone would have no 
way of knowing otherwise and spoken into someone's life and it has the effect of drawing them near to Jesus, bringing them to faith. That's what happened in that woman's life. And a prophet would be somebody who exercises this gift, who is kind of given this revelation on a regular and dependable basis. And Paul would say, this is crucial for the church. It says in 1 Corinthians 14, eagerly desire the gift of the Spirit, especially prophecy. Because in Paul's mind, this is one of the most prominent, one of the best ways, I shouldn't say prominent, one of the best ways, one of the most effective ways that God draws people to himself is through this gift of prophecy. And then Paul says, third of all, you've got teachers. And, uh, and the difference between prophecy and teaching would be that prophecy is, is kind of a, a revelation from God given for a particular person or situation or church, whereas teaching is instructing believers in what all believers everywhere need to know. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's teaching the scriptures. It's teaching the word of God. And so when you're preaching, when, I, when I'm preaching, that might sometimes involve the prophetic. I've had it where I'm, I'm preaching and God gives me uh, words to say in the moment I hadn't planned on saying and perhaps it has spoken directly into someone's life. You know, you've heard of people kind of going away and, and going, I don't know with me necessarily, but I've heard this in other situations where people go like, was, was the pastor listening to our conversation this morning? Did he bug our car? Did he bug our apartment? Like, how did he know that was exactly what we were talking about? That's, that's an element, perhaps, of the prophetic, but preaching must always involve teaching. It must always involve explaining the scriptures and saying this is what all Christians everywhere have needed to know. And Paul would say this is a crucial and indispensable uh, gift that God has given to the church. Now from there, Paul moves on to some other gifts. And, and there's some debate about whether or not he's ranking these as well, whether he continues to go on this list. They're not given a number in the same way that the first three are. Uh, but in any case, like I said, we're going we're gonna to talk about more of the ones that we haven't touched on before. Talked about healing. We've talked about tongues. We'll talk about that more uh, in a couple of weeks. But Paul talks about two new ones here. He talks about the gift of helping. And that's pretty self-explanatory. Uh, it's, it's meeting practical needs. Paul says in Acts 20, uh, he's speaking to the Ephesian elders. He says, In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. It's helping the weak, helping the needy. It's, it's coming alongside of those who have practical needs. And, and all of us are called to do this in one way or another. But some people are supernaturally empowered for this. It, it comes more naturally. It comes more easily. It's something that they just kind of jump and they know how to do this. I love people, but I'm fairly certain that I do not have this gift. Um, I, so for, as an example, a couple weeks ago, one of our kids was sick and was throwing up in the middle of the night, just vomited on the carpet. And I want to help, but I have no clue what to do. I'm running around, frantic. I have no idea. I'm like, there's vomit on the carpet. Maybe we should get a crowbar. Maybe we should tear the carpet out. Maybe that's what I should be doing at two in the morning. And Carolyn, thankfully, has been given, I think, this gift. And, and so she was able to kind of assess the, uh, the situation, know how to best help our child and how to give her useless husband some very practical instructions. Some people have this gift uh, where they're just able to, to jump in and they know what needs to be done and, and how to help people. The other gift that Paul talks about here is the gift of guidance. 
And the word here is connected with, uh, with piloting or steering a ship through troubled waters. Uh, so, I mean, first century uh, piloting a ship would be very different than the 21st century. But in both cases, you've got to be aware of the imminent threats and how to help the boat uh, kind of through that so it doesn't get overturned. And, and so if the church is like, is like a ship, or if even a family is, is like a ship, and, and it's in these very turbulent waters of this world, then someone with the gift of guidance is, is able to navigate that and direct the way. And I think our, our church leaders, our, our, our board members, our elders, for the most part, I would say they have this gift. They need to have this gift. That as a church, you come up against all kinds of tricky situations and you need these leaders who have been given this gift to kind of steer the course through. Now, again, what Paul says here, even if you were to combine it with the earlier list, is not the comprehensive list. There are lots of ways, lots of other ways that the Holy Spirit empowers his people for service. But but what, what the bottom line here is, is what, what Paul's trying to get at is that in the church, you're going to have all these gifts. And this is such a blessing. It's such a blessing that it's not just that I need to do the ministry or that you need to do the ministry in your realm, but that together as the body of Christ, we are doing the work. Where I lack in abilities, which is pretty much in every realm of my life, other people have that ability in spades. And so we're able to lean on each other. We're able to work together. We are joined together, working for the same purpose, the same goal. What a gift this is. So what Paul said, that's, that's his point here in verses 29 and 30, where he goes, look, are all people prophets and evangelists? And are, are, are all people prophets and, and apostles and teachers and uh, gifts of healing and so on? What's the answer? What's the implied answer? No. Not everybody is all of those things, but, but somebody is one of those things. And so together the body is strengthened and built up. Isn't that a blessing? So good to be part of the body of Christ. So Paul says, here, here are some more gifts. Here's how the Spirit has dispersed them. And then he says this in verse 31. He says, now eagerly desire the greater gifts. I'm going to wrap up with this, but I want to spend a little bit of time here. Because I think this gets at another common assumption we have about the gifts of the Spirit. And here's the assumption we have. We kind of go, God will give me whatever gifts he wants to. I really have no role in this. I'm a passive participant. I'm open to it. But God will do what he wants to do. If he wants to give me a gift, he can do that. But, I, but it's not really my job to do anything about it. And it sounds it sounds pious, and maybe even sounds right. It sounds similar to some of the things Paul says in this chapter. Verse 11, he says, he says, all these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. Just as he determines. It makes it sound like this is all up to him. Verse 18, Paul says, but in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. Again, it's his desire. It's his thing. Even in this passage, verse 26, he says, God has placed in the church. It's, it's his thing. And then we get this the, the, in the body passage from last week where Paul kind of says, look, if you're an ear, 
Don't say, well, because I'm not an I, I'm not part of the body. It sounds like Paul is saying, be content with the gifts that you have been given. It's his doing. He, he does it as he desires. And yet here in verse 31, he says eagerly, desire the gifts of the Spirit. In case you think that's a typo, chapter 14, again, follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. And he's saying this to people who already have a gift. Right? To each one, the manifestation of the Spirit has been given. These people already have a gift of the Spirit. And Paul says, desire more. Desire greater gifts. Don't be complacent. Keep desiring these things. He goes passionately, earnestly, zealously, relentlessly, aggressively pursue these gifts. How do these two things work together? Are these not contradictory thoughts? Well, first of all, Whenever, whenever we see God working in the scriptures, he's usually involving humans to some extent or another, right? Like he's going to split the Red Sea in half, but he says to Moses, raise your staff. You know, like he's going to do this, but he wants to involve humans in it. And very often that role that we play in it is through prayer. See, God wants to do things. He wants to bless us but he wants us to want it. He rarely forces something on us without a corresponding desire on our part. It's why Jesus says in Luke, you should ask. You know, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open to you. Jesus is saying, actually engage with God. Desire these things. He says, God will give the Holy Spirit to all who ask him. Does God want to give the Holy Spirit? Yes. Does he want to give gifts of the Spirit? Yes. Does he want to bless his people? Yes, a thousand times yes. But he wants you to want it. He wants you to desire it and to seek him and to wrestle with him for it. So Sam Storms writes, and he says, our prayers are often the very means God employs to grant what he desires to give. Again, our prayers are often the very means God employs to grant what he desires to give. God wants, it's not a contradiction. God wants to do these things. He has intentions about the gifts that he's going to give to the body, but he asks us to ask for it, to eagerly seek it and desire it. And the second thing is that when, what, what Paul warns against earlier in the chapter is not desiring other gifts, but desiring other gifts for the wrong reason. His issue is that some people are going to look at a gift and they're going to say, well, that seems to be more spectacular. That seems to be more noticeable. That gets more attention. I want that gift. Everybody seems to have that gift. I want it too. It's that envy. It's that pride. It's that self-seeking. But here Paul says, desire the greater gifts. And what's greater in the biblical sense? Remember what Jesus said? We talked about leadership. Remember, he, he kind of said, the greatest of you is going to be who? The least. If you want to be great, you got to be a servant of all. That's what great is in the kingdom of God. So what are the greater gifts? They're not the ones that are the most showy or spectacular. The greater gifts are the ones that enable you to serve him to build up the church the most effectively. And so if your desire 
is to exalt yourself, well then, yeah, you're, you're on the wrong track and you shouldn't be desiring gifts for that reason. But if your desire is to see the church be all that it is meant to be, if your desire is to see Christ be glorified, then desire the greater gifts, desire the gifts, seek the gifts, earnestly pursue the gifts that will enable you to do that even more than you are right now. See, this is what it boils down to, and this is what I want to leave you with and what we'll enter into a time of worship from. The, the need for us to be awakened. Because how many of us have grown complacent? How many of us have kind of come to this place where we said, look, I've, I've done what I need to do. I've accomplished what I need to accomplish. I have learned about as much of God as I need to know in this life. How many of us have kind of come to this place where we've even figured out, well, I've got this one gift and I'm using it a little bit here or there, and that's good enough. Like you've kind of like, how many of us are operating with this bare minimum kind of mindset when it comes to following Jesus? Where you just kind of go, I'm doing a little bit, that should be good enough, God should get off my back now. Look, you know what Paul says here? He, he doesn't say, hey, if you're up for it, Maybe, uh, maybe think about pursuing some other gifts. You know, it's, it's not like an optional thing. He's not going like, hey, if, if, you, if, you, feel, if you feel like it. You know, you, you can take it or leave it, but maybe. He says, do it. It's a command. It's a command from the scriptures. Eagerly desire the greater gifts. Zealously pursue the gifts that enable you to serve others more. If you're not doing that, you're actually disobeying a command from the scriptures. See, what if God would want to give you this gift of helping so that you are able to come alongside others and provide for them in practical ways? What if God would want to give you the gift of guidance so that you could help lead the church in, in difficult situations? What if God wanted to, to give you the gift of, of prophecy that you would hear words from him that would help build others up and draw people to him? What if God would want to give you the gift of evangelism so that you share the good news with others? What if God would even want to give you the gift of apostleship that you would break new ground and be a pioneer in a place where the gospel has not yet reached, but all he's waiting for you is for you to ask for it, to desire. What if he would want to do so much more through you? See, he has saved you for a purpose. Not, not to just kind of sit there as a passive recipient. Not to just kind of make some money and go on some vacations and create some memories. He has created you for so much more than that. He made you so that, so that you would know him and that you would make him known in this world. And so desire the gifts, eagerly, passionately, zealously, aggressively, relentlessly pursue the greater gifts of the Spirit so that you can do what he has called you to do in this world. Amen. So Lord, we want to... Um, we want to put our hands out and we want to say, Lord, we, we desire, we desire the gifts that you want to give us. Some of us, Lord, I, I think we need to repent of the complacency, to repent, Lord, of, of mindsets where we assume that we've discovered a gift that we had and we used it a little bit and that was that. Was that. We didn't really need anything more. But God, the truth is that there is so much more. 
So much more for us as individual followers of Jesus. So much more for us as as a church. So many more ways that you would want to gift us and, and make us a blessing in this world. And so, Lord, first of all, I pray for a change of our hearts. Lord, that you would awaken in us a desire for for the greater gifts, the gifts that would enable us to serve you even more effectively, to see even more people know you and come to faith in you. I pray, Lord, awaken that desire in us by your Holy Spirit. I just want to invite you now, just for a few moments, just to speak to God. Perhaps you need to repent of complacency. You need to ask for that fire, for that zeal, for that passion in you. You need to commit yourself, resolve yourself to seeking the greater gifts. You speak to God right now. Tell him. place and uh, and stir up in us, Lord. Stir up in us a, a desire, a hunger, a thirst. That from here on, Lord, we would not be complacent. We would not live our lives with a bare minimum mindset, but that you would set our eyes squarely on the kingdom of God. Lord, awaken us. Awaken that desire in us for more of you. For more of your Holy Spirit filling us and renewing us and using us. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and stir it up in us, Lord. We live in this city, we live in this place where there's, there are so many people, so many people who are sleeping, so many people who don't know you, so many people who don't know what they were created for, so many people who don't know that you, Jesus, died in their place, that their sins can be forgiven, that they can be filled with the presence of the one who made them. Lord, stir up in us a thirst for for mission, for evangelism, to see the gospel break through into places that have not yet heard it. May we not be content and complacent, Lord, in this realm. Holy Spirit, come, we pray in the name of Jesus. Thanks for joining us at Bridge Church in this way. If God has spoken to you through his word, or if you're simply just wanting to reach out to pray, or just wanting to know a little bit more about our church, you can do that through accessing our website. There you can connect with us and also have access to different types of content. We are a church that lives to know Jesus Christ personally and to make him known. We believe that he is the hope of this world and wants to give you your hope as well. We believe that the best news ever has come in and through him. May you know him more and make him known today.
We'd love to hear from you.